Did you know that within a decade, women will hold $30 trillion in investable assets? Yet somehow, only 19% of women reported feeling confident in selecting investments that align with their long-term goals. Our friends at InvestHer are out to change that. InvestHer Con is the number one premier conference for women in real estate, and it's happening June 2nd through the 4th in Austin, Texas. InvestHerCon is not just another real estate conference. It's a transformational experience focused on real estate investing, business strategies, and self-care tactics, all designed to help women take control of their financial futures. Gain the knowledge and skills you need to grow your portfolio and build a sustainable business, all while connecting with over 500 women who are playing at the same level. To learn more and to get your tickets, visit InvestHerCon.com today and use the code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. That's InvestHer, H-E-R, Con.com, promo code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. Quick disclaimer, the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are provided for informational purposes only and should not be construed as an offer to buy or sell any securities or to make or consider any investment or course of action. For more information, go to bestevershow.com. It wouldn't hurt to have a little bit of knowledge in real estate investing in general and have a little bit of knowledge in every aspect doesn't hurt. But if you think you can jump straight into retail strip centers or commercial property, don't be afraid to. Welcome to the Best Ever Show, the world's longest running daily commercial real estate podcast. Our hosts interview commercial real estate experts every day to get you the best advice ever with none of the fluffy stuff. Hello, Best Ever listeners. Welcome to the Best Real Estate Investing Advice Ever Show. I'm Ash Patel and I'm with today's guest, Zach Alms. Zach is joining us from Mankato, Minnesota. He is the managing partner at 507 Capital. They invest in value-add retail properties as well as vertically integrate the management of those properties. Zach's portfolio consists of retail strip centers and small multifamily properties, around $15 million of assets under management. Zach, thank you for joining us and how are you today? Doing good. Thanks for having me. Awesome, Zach. It's our pleasure. Best ever listeners, fair disclosure, Zach's a good friend of mine. Met him at the Best Ever Conference and dying to know more about his background. So, Zach, thank you again for joining us. Before we get started, can you give the Best Ever listeners a little bit more about your background and what you're focused on now? Sure. So, we'll go way back to the early 2000s. Back in the early 2000s, my mom was a realtor. And when she was doing that, I got the real estate itch. And since then, tried to grow my portfolio when I got out of high school and stuff like that. Started with some small multifamily, grew to a fourplex, eightplex, twelveplex, things like that. And then was self-managing it the whole time. And about 2018, 2019, I got pretty burned out on self-managing apartments, but I still loved real estate as investment. So I tried to figure out what was the best way to go. And Everything I read and heard was going to triple net retail or triple net leased properties. So early 2020, just as COVID was shutting everything down, I bought my first retail strip center and I haven't looked back since. Look, you know me, I love this. I scream from the mountaintops for people to get into office, retail, industrial, pivot, do multifamily, but don't not look at these other assets. What was it about triple net investing that was appealing to you? I know the managing part was burning you out. So tell me more about that. 
It was kind of twofold. Part of it was the managing triple net. I mean, commercial real estate in general, when it comes to anything non-residential, the tenants are operating their businesses out of those locations. So they care about the space. And so I just wanted a, a tenant that cared about their space, wasn't going to give me a call every day about a leaky toilet or a broken faucet or something like that. So more hands off on the management side. And then the triple net portion of it is also very awesome. The triple net lease, the tenants reimburse for property taxes, property insurance, and common area maintenance expenses, CAM. So really, when you have a base rent, you know what you're going to get because those triple net costs can fluctuate every year, but you can reconcile it and make sure that the tenant is reimbursing for those expenses. So it's just more... Is it more predictable? You more think? predictable. Okay. So I'm going to push back on you a little bit. You got into retail just before COVID locked everything down yes. and you still love it. So look, the misnomers out there are there's a retail apocalypse. How would you get into retail after COVID? How is that a good idea? How do you answer those questions? Those are good questions. I got into my first center right as COVID was shutting everything down. And actually the first few months of the ownership was really rough because I had one of my tenants, a big corporate tenant, they occupied 50% of the building. They actually first thing after I bought the building is they sent me a letter and said they're not paying rent for three months. So it was pretty airy there for the first few months. But all in all, retail is a great asset class. There's lower vacancy in retail right now than there's ever been. And if you're buying in the right markets, in the right locations, in those markets, and it has good access and good stuff, you're going to be pretty well protected. The thing with retail is that it's not just stores and where you're going to go buy clothes or food. Their service providers, their hair salons, their pizza joints, it's dentist, chiropractor. I could go on and just the tons of service providers that you need every day. So these retail strip centers are perfect for that. Yeah. So internet resistant and recession resistant tenants. How did you find this first retail center and what was the size of this? It sounds like you went pretty big. Why not start out something smaller? It wasn't a huge building. It was about 8,500 square feet. And I found it on Crexy. It had some vacancy in it when I bought it. I bought it as is NOI and bought it at about a seven and a half cap at the time. It had some really good credit grade tenants and just a learning process. What was it about this center in particular that appealed to you? Was it close to home? It was about a two-hour drive from home. It had no, really good not credit. close to home. <laughs> not, not close, okay. So I want other people to consider following in your footsteps. So I'm trying to get into your mindset. What was it really that appealed to you about this one? It was a Starbucks anchored and Aspen Dental anchored building with a vacant. So about a third of it was vacant. And so my game plan was to get in there and fill that vacancy and then therefore increase the value of the property, increase the cash flow increase everything. What I liked about it is it was a pretty good sized market. It was the busiest road in town, had 10 to 20,000 cars per day, and it just good tenants. Zach, there's not a lot of education resources out there. How did you learn enough to take this one down? Probably I thought I knew enough and I just did it. A lot of times I just jump before I should. Sometimes I'm pretty risk adverse. I'm willing to take the risk and I knew that jumping in and just doing it, I would learn something. And I did. I've since exited that building, learned that that market wasn't actually a great market to buy something with a vacancy in because it was very oversaturated with vacancies. And I never was going to have a chance in filling the vacancy, not to mention COVID shutting everything down and 
having a pretty tough time of the, but I learned by doing that's the best way to learn. I love that. I'm just like you. People always ask, what's your exit plan? And the answer is there is none. You just make it work. I don't have a plan B. I'm going to figure this out, make it work. What was the purchase price of this deal? It was about 2.2 million. Did you raise capital for that? No, I did not. I was in a 1031 exchange. Okay. And one of your tenants, this corporate tenant that said, we're not going to pay you for three months. Did you, or could you have pushed back on that? I probably could have pushed back, but what they did is they said, we're not going to pay you for three months right now, but we're going to tack that on at the end of the lease, which technically they would have had a higher rent rate at the end of the term anyway. So yes, I was missing it those three months, but they weren't completely not paying it. They were going to tack it on at a higher rate down the road, but. Interesting. Okay. So they're not going to pay today's rent at the end of the lease. They're going to pay whatever their rate is times three months. Correct. All right. Pretty cool. A good selling point for the next buyer. Did you ever fill the vacancy? No, I did not. Did you make money on the sale of this property? Yes, I did. How? What did you do to improve it? I didn't do anything to improve it. It's sad to say, but the value add was that the corporate tenants that I had there, Starbucks and Aspen Dental, Starbucks specifically, particularly, that shot up like a rocket on people wanting to buy them. So I bought it at a certain cap rate. And I sold it at a lower cap rate. Therefore, there was a good spread on the purchase versus the sale. How much money did you end up making on this, if you don't mind me asking? I made about 600 grand. All right. Congratulations. So now you're hooked on commercial. Yeah. However, the timing is not in your favor anymore. Cap rates are decompressing now. So what's the next move? Well, still buying retail strip centers and there's still a lot of opportunity out there. I learned my lesson on that one and buying in a market where it was oversaturated with a vacancy. And so now I'm still buying value add retail strip centers, but I'm doing a little bit more homework because I've learned some lessons and I'm making sure that I'm going to actually be able to fill vacancies or increase the value of the property in some way. I can't just bank on the market bailing me out every time. Yeah, the universe loved you on that deal, but it may not so much on the next one. How many years left did Starbucks and Aspen Dental have on their lease? They probably had a little under five years each left on their lease. And the reason I sold that one even, I wasn't even looking to sell it, but I, I found a different property that I liked, again, two hours away in a different direction that I wanted to purchase. So I actually ended up doing a reverse 1031 exchange. I bought this other property before I sold my current property that I owned. What does that process look like? Do you just let the 1031 intermediary know that you're buying this and you plan to do a reverse 1031? Yeah, so there's a lot of moving parts. You have to have a lender that's willing to give you a bridge loan normally in the process because you still have to come up with cash to buy the first property before you sell your property that you're 1031ing. So there's some moving parts, but it all worked out. I ended up buying property A, and then I sold the one I already owned, property B, two months later. So it wasn't a long hold period by any means, but it can get pretty complicated. And there's a lot of ways you can play with it. You can actually buy a property and then identify later after the fact what property you even want to sell if you own multiple properties. It's a pretty cool thing to do if you don't want to be forced to buy something in a 1031 exchange. I'll probably do it again so that I don't ever 
be forced with the timelines of, a, of an exchange. That's great advice. What was the next property that you bought? It was a larger retail strip center, about twice the price, twice the size, again, with an Aspen Dental and some other local tenants. It was a fully stabilized center. Why would you buy something fully stabilized if you're a value-add guy? Well, the price was right. The location was right. The market was right. I got good interest rate at the time. Everything just worked out. And I was doing it through a reverse 1031 exchange. So it all just worked out that it was just too good of a deal not to do. Is your loan locked in for a certain number of years? Yeah, it has a five-year locked loan, five-year balloon. And then after the five years, I have to refi it and get a new loan on it. Okay, good. So you're not susceptible to interest rates continuing to rise and your payments going up. You're set for five years. What are the other tenants there? Aspen Dental, Starbucks? Uh, We have a Cadoba, which is a burrito place like Chipotle, Jimmy John's, Little Caesars. There's a hair salon. There's a nail salon. I know I'm missing one or two tenants. Are are these all national? Home store there. Yeah. Are these all national tenants? They're all mostly national recognized tenants. Yes. They're not necessarily credit tenants, but they're all franchisees. And they all have built-in rent increases? Correct. What's the play on this? How long are you going to hold it? It's sad to say, I don't have a great plan on it. I'm going to hold it until I figure out the next thing to jump onto, or if I can sell it and keep doubling down. If I can double down to the next building, I'll do so. I don't really get too emotionally attached to any building. So I'm always willing to go to the next opportunities, right? But right now it's just a good cash flow play. Yeah, and you've got some top-notch tenants there where there's a lot of traffic going into them. So if there was ever a vacancy, it's got to be easy to fill a center like that, right? Yeah, it's an outparcel to a Walmart. It's got good traffic. I don't have any concern. Plenty of parking? Yeah, good amount of parking. In terms of finding deals, how are you finding them now? So a lot of the deals that I'm finding these days is through Crexy or broker relations. I don't use LoopNet or CoStar very often. I do use them and I do check them out, but mostly Crexy and broker relations and actually probably even more towards the broker relationships. I call commercial real estate brokers weekly, probably talking to a different one every other day during the week. So just staying on their radar, letting them know what I'm looking for and the markets that I'm looking for them. Deals do tend to come to me sooner before, before they hit the market. Zach, on this deal, you don't have a timeline because I'm assuming you don't have investors, right? So you call the shots. Would you consider raising capital for future deals? Yeah. So that past deal was solely myself, but yes, I'm actually starting to raise capital on deals now and for the future. I got a couple of deals in the Midwest here that I'm working on right now, actually, that we're raising capital on and really awesome value add plays, filling vacancies, increasing rents, some month to month leases that we're going to get on long-term leases and with some rent increases. Basically, all the value add things we can do, we're going to do to these properties. So we're raising capital because it's going to be a great return for the investors and it's going to be a great project for me to do. All right. I got to ask you this question. Do you still own your multifamily? Funny story. I was starting to buy some multifamily again over the last year. And I literally earlier this week, I sold out, I sold them all again to a buddy. Okay. You're a unique individual in that you've got expertise in both retail and multifamily. Are you pivoting just completely away from multifamily? Or if you start seeing deals, would you consider getting back in? 
So the reason I just sold out the ones I was already starting to acquire again is because, yeah, I want to focus more on retail and retail strip centers, but I can't turn a blind eye to a really good multifamily deal either because I do have expertise in it and I do know when a good deal is a good deal. I might buy it and I put it under contract and I might own it for a very short amount of time and then sell it for a small profit, but I will still take down multifamily deals if the opportunity is presents itself. Look, I think that's an incredible skill to have. I wish more multifamily people would pivot and at least pick up the skills where if they see a great deal in retail industrial office, they can take it down because market cycles are different for different asset classes. So you're a unicorn. There's not many people that can do both or that would be willing to do both. Good for you. What markets are you looking in? Mostly in Southern Minnesota and Wisconsin. So basically Minnesota, Wisconsin, and Iowa are my focus markets. And Zach, your pain point back in 1819 was managing these multifamily properties. Retail is just a million times easier to manage. Why are you only looking in those markets and not other places in the Midwest? I am looking in other markets, but I'm not looking very hard. I kind of want to get a really good foothold here before I expand nationwide. I got a partner locally that is a property management company. So he manages all the properties. He's actually a partner. So we're vertically integrated through 507 Capital. And right now it's just ease, the simplicity of it all, to have it all somewhat local, even though a couple of our deals under contract right now are six hours away. That's a drive. I could probably fly anywhere just as fast. So I'm not opposed to other markets or other parts of the country, but right now the Midwest and especially the three states I mentioned, they're just what I like. So your partner manages the properties. So this aversion to property management, you took it to an extreme and you don't even manage the property. Your partner does that now. Good for you. So your role is just primarily acquisitions? Yep. Acquisitions and underwriting and operation, kind of like asset management over the property management company, make sure that the property management company, even though they're part of a partner, I still need to make sure that they're doing all the things that I want them to do or that they need to get done. So operations, acquisitions. We'll get back to the show with the first some sponsors I'm confident you'll find value in learning more about. Deciding how to invest your capital is more challenging than ever. That's why it's never been more important to partner with a company with a solid track record and that has thrived through various economic cycles. Companies like BAM Capital. BAM Capital is a trusted multifamily syndicator that has delivered a historical average of over 35% IRR with an average hold period of three and a half years. BAM Capital's never missed a preferred payment, never lost an LP's investment, and never called capital past the subscription amount. BAM Capital is currently raising capital for a fund designed for accredited investors targeting a 15 to 20% IRR and a 2 to 2.5x equity multiple to its investors over a three to five year hold period. If you're an accredited investor and you want to learn more about multifamily investment opportunities with BAM Capital, visit capital.thebamcompanies.com. Again, that's capital dot the bam companies.com are you a real estate investor looking to break into the multifamily investing space have you heard of mfin con happening in charlotte north carolina june 12th through the 14th the multifamily investor nation convention is a place to learn from over 60 high level apartment investors while networking with more than 700 additional investors if that's not enough for you 
A-Rod, yep, Alex Rodriguez, 12-time Major League Baseball All-Star with over $700 million of commercial real estate assets, will be live and in person speaking at the event. Also speaking is the one and only Dr. Robert Cialdini, the godfather of influence and the award-winning author. I personally love his books. So be sure to secure your tickets to this live in-person event before they're gone. Go to MFINCon.com for more details. Sponsorship opportunities are also available. Visit MFINCON.com today. Use the promo code BESTEVER to get $200 off your tickets. That's MFINCON.com. Is there a sweet spot in the type of retail deals that you're looking for. The first one was 30% vacant in terms of value add, but then you've also bought fully leased properties. What's the best way to go? Do you park money in fully leased properties or do you do the value add? And if so, how much vacancy is the right amount? Those are really good questions. And I don't have a perfect answer for you. It's good to have some vacancy. I would say at least 10% vacancy. If you get up to 30, 40, 50% vacancy, it's a little bit harder to find financing or to make the deal cash flow from day one. I'm not saying I haven't done it. I bought a building that had about 50% vacancy, but we had to make the seller master lease a bunch of the vacant space. So they are still paying rent for that vacant space. But back to your question, I don't have a certain vacancy amount or anything like that, that that has to hit for it to be a good value add play. You have to be able to increase the NOI in some way or form substantially, let's just say 20% over the course of two to three to five years. But I don't say that you have to have a certain amount of vacancy or anything like that. One of the deals I have under contract right now, it's actually fully occupied, but the rents are probably only at 50 to 60% market. So I'll just raise rents and that'll be a substantial value add play. Well, hold on. Can you raise rents or are there renewals and multi-year leases? They're all on month to month. So there's no renewals in place. All right. So that's incredible. And have they been there a long time? Yeah, all of them have been there since 2020 or longer. All right. So that's a perfect scenario. Below market rents, month to month. The drawback on something like that would be if they had five years remaining and then multiple five-year renewals at very low rates, there's no way to overcome that unless the tenant voluntarily leaves, right? Right. And back to this master lease deal, tell me more about that. So you're buying a property that had about 50% vacancy? Yeah. So what we did is because it had such vacancy, it was a really nice retail strip center with medical office space as well, but it had a lot of vacancy because the current owners, they wanted a very specific kind of tenant. So they weren't aggressively trying to fill the building, but anyway, they wanted to sell it. So I was like, yeah, but you need to master lease all of this space. So basically what we did is we had them lease all the vacant space at about 70% of the market rent for two years and it's escrowed. So if I fill the space, they get their money back. If I don't fill the space, then they have to pay that rent quarterly. So what it did is it helped the property appraise for the value that they wanted to sell it at. And it helped me as the purchasers to have the cash flow during that lease up phase. That is a wild scenario. I'm assuming you came up with this. Yes. This is brilliant. So a lender would not have touched this property with that much vacancy. Did you pay full price or did you pay over asking for this master lease? I paid full price. I told the owner that this was a broker relationship deal. So a broker brought it to me 
so basically, I guess I told the broker, I said, if they want to get this price, they have to do this master lease. Otherwise, there's no way it's going to appraise to maybe not even half as much. So they want to sell bad enough that they did the master lease. So at closing, they ended up putting how much money in escrow? Two years worth of rent? It was probably about 200 grand. That's incredible. And you just dipped your hand in that till every time you needed it until you filled the tenants. If I was a seller, I would have been like, "Uh uh-uh, I need you to be incentivized. Was the rent diminishing over time? Why wouldn't you have just sat there and waited it out for two years? The incentive to me to fill the vacancy sooner than the end of the two years was, for one, I didn't want to take it to the very last minute and then try and fill the spaces. And then secondly, the rent that the master lease was, it was somewhere between 60 and 70% of market rent. So I could fill the space at market rent and get substantially more. That was the incentive. Yeah, that's an incredible scenario. Good for you. How important are national tenants versus the mom and pop pizza place or the hair salon? It's important to have, I like to have at least one or two national credit tenants that are corporately backed by a pretty big company. It's important. It drives traffic to the building. It also gives you the security of having a corporate or credit tenant that will pay their rent. Mom and pop could go up and close up shop any day, whereas a a corporate tenant is not going to happen as often. Knowing that we're in a rising rate environment, do you look for tenants that have leases long enough to get through maybe the next two to three years of potentially rising rates? Because the longest time that we've had between when rates started going up to when rates started coming back down was just over three years, I believe. Now, look, this could be longer. Do you anticipate continued headwinds? And for that reason, do you try to find tenants that have three, four, or five years minimum left on their lease? Yeah, it's preferred to have the leases three, four, five years out or more. One of the buildings we're buying has a tenant that has a 15-year lease, and they still have 12 years on their lease. So yes, it's good to have the security of the long-term leases, but at the same time, there's value-add play to have shorter-term leases, too, to increase rents. In case there's no renewal options or anything like that, you can increase rents. So it's good to have a mix. Maybe 60% of the leases are long-term, the same amount of your loan, whatever your loan term is, if it's a three-year or five-year balloon, make sure your leases coincide with that. But it's also good to have some shorter-term leases so you can do some substantial value-add plays on it. So that's a double-edged sword. The apartments, there's areas where rents were rising 12, 18% year over year. With us being in the retail space, maybe the lease was signed five years ago when inflation was non-existent and they have a 3% annual rate increase. So that hurts us during high inflationary times. So it's a balancing act. You got to try to predict the future a little bit too. And then the renewals only help the tenant. Is that right? Right. The renewals are only good for the tenants so that they know what they're going to get and have to pay when their renewal is up. There's something you just mentioned, though, about inflation. With a triple net lease, yes, inflation goes up and down and stuff like that. But as all costs take care of the building rise through a triple net lease, you can keep continually bill those expenses back to the tenants as property taxes go up, as property insurance goes up, as 
the lawn care, the landscaping, the exterior lighting, all those costs go up. Those are all costs you can bill back to the tenants through triple net lease. And so you're always recovering that whether inflation is going crazy or not, as long as they're on triple net leases. I love that you said that chalk up a win for us in retail versus the multifamily people because the multifamily people all have gross leases. And there was a time where finding contractors was very difficult and they get to charge whatever they want for services. We have a shortage of tradespeople. So that's a great point where, yes, multifamily rents were higher, but their expenses had to have gone up significantly. Even their taxable value and their property taxes go up. So you get to pass those all onto your tenants. Do you only do triple net or will you take properties that are gross leases as well? Triple net is preferred, but I will look at gross lease commercial properties as well. I prefer the triple net leases. If there's a substantial value add play on a gross lease retail strip center, I'm not going to turn away from it just because it's got gross leases. You just got to account for those rising expenses and you got to account for all those costs through some way or form, whether it be annual increases on the base term of the lease or something like that. You got some serious PTSD from managing those multifamily properties, huh? You're sticking with them triple nets. You don't want to do the gross leases. You want to be a hands-off manager. I love it. How do you assess risk in some of these properties that you're looking at? How do you do a risk analysis? How do you stress test the deal? That's a good question. I would say stress test it or assess the risk through the tenants and the leases. If it's all month-to-month leases, that's a high-risk purchase. But if you have a building that has corporate-backed tenants and very long-term leases, a lot of the risk is mitigated. The least risky buildings out there also sell at the lowest caps, like let's say a Starbucks. Standalone Starbucks is selling at a very low cap rate, whereas a standalone mom-and-pop coffee shop, same size building and same everything, might sell at three basis points or more higher cap rate. So risk and cap rates coincide a lot of times. Well, speaking of that, would you always sell a property before that triple net renewal comes up? Or would you roll the dice and say, I know they're going to renew? You're going to get a better price if you can have a long-term lease in place when you sell. So if you can get the tenant to renew with the longer-term lease and then sell, you're going to get a better price. What if they don't renew? Now you're left with... (laughs) You've got other problems on your hands. (laughs) Can you renew early? Oh, yeah. So you go to Aspen Dental or Jimmy John's and you have to incentivize them and say, look, I need you to renew early. I'm going to give you a break on this, this, that, and just make it a win-win. Yep. Or you can give them a tenant improvement allowance, TI. You can give them if they want to have their interior walls painted, or if they want new flooring, you say, hey, I'll put new flooring in there if you sign a new lease for me today. Instead, you know, oh, like I love that. So you don't have to necessarily say, I'll give you a discount on rent. It could be, hey, I'll reward you this other way so that your NOI still continues to go up. And then you get a multiple of that when you go to sell. So you don't want to sacrifice that. Instead, give them something out of pocket, paint, refresh, something like that. Great, great advice. Speaking of advice, Zach, what's your advice to the multifamily world that 
for whatever reason, thinks retail is too difficult, too expensive, too risky? My advice would be to just try and learn about it. Try and look into it. It's not that complicated compared to multifamily. You're dealing with businesses instead of residential tenants. So it's more business acumen, but it's not that much more complicated. It can be a lot easier on the management side. There might be a little bit more cost involved on the front end. It's possible that a commercial property costs more than a multifamily property, depending on the size of each. But just look into it. Try it. Just learn as much as you can. You know, it would have been hilarious if I asked you what's your advice to multifamily people and you said they should stay in their lane so that you have less competition. <laughs> Darn it. I missed my opportunity. <laughs> no, but listen, we both have an abundance mindset, plenty to go around. I think you've inspired a lot of people with this conversation. Zach, what is your best real estate investing advice ever? I'd say my best advice is just to jump in head first. I'm pretty risk adverse, but the best way to learn to do something is just by doing. If even you're just trying to get into real estate, buy a house, house hack it. If you're trying to get into commercial retail strip centers, buy something small, buy something manageable in price that has a couple of good tenants that you think you can handle. Just do it, learn, and you won't regret it. Would you advise people to go directly to commercial or do they need to start out with single family homes? It wouldn't hurt to have a little bit of knowledge in real estate and investing in general and have a little bit of knowledge in property management and just a little bit of knowledge in every aspect doesn't hurt. But if you think you can do it, if you've read enough books or watched enough YouTube or listened to enough podcasts, if you think you can jump straight into retail strip centers or commercial property, don't be afraid to. In terms of raising capital, what's your anticipated return to investors? Am I allowed to say that on this show? Yeah. Anywhere between 16 to 18 IRR or better. What would a typical hold period be if you are buying retail? With investors, uh, obviously. We're kind of projecting three to five year hold terms. And the IRR will be higher if it's a three-year term versus a five-year term. But ideally, what we're really trying to do is we want to double investors' money over that term. Whether it be three years, we want to double everyone's money. Or over five years, try and double everyone's money. It depends on what the market does and how fast we can accomplish our value adds. But my goal overall is to make investors money and ideally double their money over the whole period. Zach, what's the typical loan to value on retail deals that you do? Typically what I'm doing is anywhere between 80% LTV, 75% LTV, or 70% loan to value. So around that 75% loan to value. Zach, you ready for the best ever lightning round? Let's do it. All right, Zach, what's the best ever book you recently read? I recently read Who Not How, which was a great book on how to find people to do things that they're great at, basically. And I'm not managing my own properties because I'm not great at it or I just don't like it. So I found a who to do that for me. I just like that idea of finding the right people for the right tasks. You were already doing that. You could have written that book. Well, yeah. <laughs> All right. Zach, what's the best ever way you like to give back? I'm on the board of a local rec center. It's just a local nonprofit. I donate my time. I'm happy to teach people about real estate. The rec center that I'm part of, we're raising money for an indoor playground right now because we're in Minnesota. It gets really cold for six months, basically. So an indoor playground lets kids go play 
at a playground during the winter months. So I just like to give back to the community in any way I can. You're going to raise extra money to heat that indoor playground? Might have to. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Awesome, Zach. And how can the best ever listeners reach out to you? You can find me on LinkedIn, Zach Alms, Z-A-C-H-A-L-M-S. Or you can find me on my website, which is 507 capitalgroup.com. Zach, I got to tell you, out of all the hundreds of people that I've interviewed, I think you are the only unicorn that will continue to invest in both retail and multifamily. It's usually one or the other. So what a pleasure interviewing you today. I think you've opened up a lot of people's minds on the benefits of managing and owning commercial real estate. So thank you for your time today. Thank you, Ash. Best ever listeners, thank you for joining us. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a five-star review. Share this podcast with someone you think can benefit from it. Also, follow, subscribe, and have a best ever day. Hi, best ever listeners. Joe Fairless here again. And one last thing before you go, would you like to receive a short weekly email with proven tips from experienced investors, free tools and resources, and a roundup of the week's most relevant news and best ever content? Well, if so... Join the community of nearly 15,000 commercial real estate passive and active investors who receive the best ever newsletter. Just go to bestevercre.com forward slash access and you'll get the very next one. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And as always, thank you for listening and have a best ever day.